Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Let's face it, guys are hard to shop for. This is the year to give him Harry's. There's no better gift than their limited edition holiday shave sets featuring their award-winning Winston Handle. True story. I got this uh, exact same holiday box for my father-in-law, who, by the way, is probably listening to this, so I, I may have just ruined <laughs> the Christmas surprise. This holiday season, listeners can get $5 off plus free shipping on any Harry's limited edition holiday shave set when you go to harrys.com slash milkshake. The sets come with a weighted handle, three razor cartridges, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover Everything he'll need for a smooth shave, all packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. To claim your $5 off plus free shipping, go to harrys.com slash milkshake. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hi, I'm Reza Aslan. And I'm Rain Wilson. And today we're talking about our genders. Do, our genders? Do you, how many genders do you have? I have a penis. Oh. Is that a gender, though? You know what? I, I actually don't even know at this point anymore. My twins were in um, pre-kindergarten, so it wasn't even kindergarten. So I guess they were, you know, four years old, maybe four to five years old. Uh, one of the kids in their class, um, you know, decided to just start living as a as a girl instead of a boy. And uh, I remember there was, you know, so many conversations and debates about it among the parents and the faculty. We're talking about Los Angeles here too. So we're talking about, you know, people who are just primed for, for you know, these kinds of progressive ideas. And, you know, we're having these parent meetings where it's like, well, is the kid making uh, their own decision or is this something that the parents are forcing upon them? If the parents were very clear about the fact that, you know, this is just something that that the they the kid kept bringing up over and over again, and it's just sort of we j they just let this kid live the way you know they wanted to live, and then I remember <laughs> the kids in in the class, it it was like nothing had happened at all. It was just like well, yesterday was Wednesday and today was Thursday. <laughs> yesterday he was a boy, today he's a girl. What's the big deal? Yeah. What's everybody talking about? I remember once I accidentally used the wrong pronoun. To refer to the kid, and and without missing a beat, my boys were like, "You mean she, Bubba? Uh, it, it's she, not he." And I was like, "Oh, sorry," which makes me think that maybe gender isn't as an internal of a thing as we think it is. That maybe it, it is 
merely a construct. Maybe it's something that that is defined by your society. If right. it's so, so easy for kids to just be like, well, duh, of course yeah. he, this he's now a girl. So if kids can be so accepting and fluid and aware so effortlessly, why can't we? Why do we struggle with it so much in our society? What would it look like, for instance, to just eliminate gender entirely? You know, we're talking to somebody today who believes in that very idea, not just this idea of eliminating, you know, gender binaries in order to make people more comfortable in their own skin and be able to define themselves, but the idea that in eliminating the concept of gender as this, you know, clear-cut, socially defined binary, that in eliminating gender, we are bringing freedom and liberation, not just to people who may or may not themselves uh, think of themselves in, you know, in, in, uh, as non-binary or non-conformist when it comes to gender, but to all of us, even those of us who do think of ourselves purely in terms of male or female, that, that if we just rid ourselves of, of the, the handcuffs of this social construct called gender, that we will all be liberated from uh, the expectations that are put upon us by society. Uh, their name is Alok Vaid Menon. And they are a writer, performance artist, fashion designer, and model. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of things. Their work pushes back against the idea of binaries and categories, and we are very excited to have them on the show today. Here's where we wanted to start. So I am a, what you would call, a cisgendered, white, middle-aged, suburban dad dude, 53 years old, and now... Things are, I don't want to say fracturing because that almost has a negative connotation, but branching out in so many kind of mysterious ways to someone uh, like me. So can you kind of walk me down that path a little bit? Can I just say I love the fact that you you made that question sound theoretical? Like, <laughs> pretend I'm just a stupid white old guy. Hypothetically. Just pretend, like hypothetically. So I think what's most interesting about what you were saying is your use of the word now, and I think that's a great launch pad for this conversation, sure. is a lot of this, and especially the way that I enter this conversation, has to do with history and time. That actually we keep on pretending that this gender and sexual revolution is something new, but it's actually something very old. And what is new is the idea that you would be identifying as a straight man. Because the idea of straightness and the idea of man are more recent historically than the idea of gender nonconformity. Mm. So actually what most people don't know is that almost every indigenous society across the world recognized genders outside of a Western binary and recognized that gender was malleable and fluid and that we lost those traditions and histories with the sort of spread of a European colonial understanding of a binary gender system. And then even among that, the idea of like heterosexuality is a recent cultural phenomenon. And then most societies in the world, you didn't actually orient an entire identity around your sexual preference, right? So... I think that what we're seeing is not necessarily something new. It's a reclamation of what always was. Perhaps we're using new language, but we're hearkening to a time that was systematically policed. 
you've done a lot of work really kind of thinking about this. Can you, can you take us a, a little bit slower through that history? Totally. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of people don't know is that one of the tactics of colonization, and especially British colonization, was the criminalization of LGBTQ people. So I'll speak, for example, here about the history of South Asia, which I'm most familiar with. So the British basically came in and they had a lot of FOMO, fear of missing out, because my ancestors were all like polyamorous, non-monogamous, queer, <laughs> gender fluid, and having a really great time. And they were kind of anxious and insecure. So they criminalized same-sex activity with Section 377, which just got repealed one year ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, at wow. which they saw that uh, queer sex was essentially, quote-unquote, against the order of nature. And then, two, they also criminalized cross-dressing with something called the Eunuch Ordinances Law. And what this did, basically, was arrest and incarcerate people for publicly cross-dressing in public. And they actually pursued an entire administrative agenda to completely eliminate gender-variant people from all of South Asia, which complicates a lot of our understandings of colonialism in South Asia because a lot of people say, oh, they weren't trying to commit genocide, but they kind of were against gender-variant people. And this is actually echoed across the world, happened here in what is now called the United States as well. There's often gender-nonconforming indigenous people who are first targeted and murdered by by European colonists. And a lot of what I'm trying to think through in my work, philosophically, intellectually, politically, is why. <laughs> like, why were they so pressed with how amazing and fabulous and ornate and powerful we were? What had to be extinguished? And then I think it's most interesting to think about that word nature, right? Because the irony of nature is that we pretend like things, we, we use the word natural to say that nothing was orchestrated, it's just organic. But who gets to speak for nature is a political practice. And what so much of what white European people did and continue to do is get to control who gets to speak for nature. So they will make a series of political decisions and choices and then be like, it's natural. When it actually wasn't natural, it was a series of political decisions and choices. And I think that in order for man and woman to be made as the only natural ways to be, you had to erase and invisibilize, literally disappear anything that contradicted the existence of man and woman. And we see the legacy of that today in the United States, right, with the ongoing murders of trans and gender nonconforming people. This year, there have been almost 20 murders of trans people in the wow. United States alone. And by the time that this interview is released, I'm sure that there will probably be more that we're living in an epidemic of some of the most uh, profound anti-trans legislation being introduced and debated at the local and state level that is essentially trying to bar us from existing in public. It's not just about bathrooms. It's our right to exist from public. But this is an age-old project of trying to disappear us so that they can claim that heterosexuality is natural and that the gender binary is natural. But they're not natural. They're actually fragile. Because if they were natural, they wouldn't require constantly trying to disappear everything else in order to be real. Wow. Well, well said. I mean, there's some research that we have here about, for instance, uh, gender identity and Native American traditions. And there's obviously mm -hmm. hundreds of Native American traditions among the tens or hundreds of thousands of indigenous traditions all around the world. But this, uh, looking at this term, the two-spirit um, mm -hmm which was this idea that certain, um, uh, certain people were born 
with an embodiment of two genders residing within one person. Um, mm-hmm. That's fascinating. And in the Cherokee language, there's 10 different pronouns, um, all of which are gender neutral. But so there's no way, there's tons of way to say we, but there's no way to say he in the Cherokee language. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if you have other examples, because you're talking from the historical context Mm -hmm. of gender, of indigenous um, definitions of gender Mm -hmm. and fluidity and sexuality. Yeah, there's just so many across the world. There's the Muxe in Mexico, M-U-X-E. There's Hidras, Kotis, Arvanis in India. There's Kathuis in Southeast Asia. There's just so many of these identities that have just been lost and are being extinguished. Um, And I think that's why, for me, it gets frustrating when you see the mainstream conversation about this, and it's always dismissed as, we're just postmodern snowflakes who Uh. read a lot of college textbooks and now are like making up language and genders. I'm like, actually, that's not true. (laughs) This has been around for hundreds of years. And when you say that, you're, you're you're contributing to that erasure of those people. And I think it's really important when we uh, acknowledge two-spirit people, right, that those two-spirit people were also seen as spiritual leaders in their community. Uh. And I think that's a crucial component that also gets lost, is that it's not just that these communities have and continue to acknowledge, but also that they affirmed, recognized, and respected. And that homophobia and transphobia were actually imported and imposed on so many people across the world. You know, you said uh, it goes back hundreds of years. Actually, it goes back thousands of years. Right. I mean, in in the Torah, um, there is this sort of notion of the the that the Jewish legal tradition um, identifies at at least six distinct genders. Right. Yeah. As, as kind of an ancient way of recognizing gender as being um, more fluid and less sort of bifurcated. But going back to something that you said earlier about the the way in which colonialists have so often used issues of gender conformity as a means of control. It reminds me of, you know, something that I just saw not that long ago. Uh, Eric Erickson, the sort of right-wing pundit, just tweeted uh, today, there's no such thing as a gay penguin. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this sort of Intense rage and fear embedded in that tweet says so much about the way that people respond to these kinds of questions. What's the Mm -hmm. fear all about? Like, I get the religious stuff, fine, Mm -hmm. but it's not all religion. There's Mm -hmm. this kind of visceral fear about Mm -hmm. ideas of gender nonconformity. What what, what do you think that's all about, Alok? I think my my artistic practice is a meditation on that very question because— I am really trying to figure out why something as seemingly insignificant as me wearing a dress walking Mm -hmm. down the street can solicit so much. Like we're talking in New York City, which is supposed to be one of the most progressive places in the world, people laughing at me, taking photos of me, pointing at me, spitting on me, physically and sexually assaulting me simply for existing in public, right? Mm. It, 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 it's just ridiculous how, especially, especially in, under this political administration, there's been so much effort to criminalize and demean the trans community when we're such a a seemingly small community, right? (laughs) Right. But I think that's where the fear is. Maybe we're not as small as they make us out to be. And what I've sort of started to realize, and and I think I wanted to say this earlier, Rain, when when you were describing yourself, is 
I think in a world where we were encouraged to explore our identity and a world in which there were many options and we weren't coerced into having to be in this box or that box, there would be a lot more gender nonconformity. Those people might still say that they're men or women, but men and women wouldn't look like what we've been taught men and women have been look like. So I read all of this fear as a panic that maybe there are more of these people than that than there than there are visible right now. And I think that when it comes to gender and sexuality, so many straight cis people are coming are 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 becoming confronted with the fact that maybe their straightness and their cisness is not as universal and not as natural and that calls into question so much in their life that they've been taught. And I think that there's an element of violence there that's really important. And when I was preparing for this conversation with you all, I, I really wanted to make this point. The irony is that a lot of people think that people like me are selfish because we're only fighting for like a small insignificant group of people. But I'm actually fighting for every single person in the world because a world without the gender binary actually will help men so much <laughs> because there would no longer be the pressure of having to prove your masculinity or yeah. your manhood. Yeah. And so I think that what happens is, especially when cis men hear this, they're like, wait, I didn't have to go through that ritual of violence. Like, there's another way to live. And when people have become so conditioned into violence, they mistake freedom as a threat. Milkshakers, do you identify as crypto-curious? If you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed, Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell simple. Cryptocurrency might feel like a secret or exclusive club, but Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or just getting started, Coinbase can help. And if you've been looking to level up your financial portfolio, it's always good to diversify. Why not think about cryptocurrency? Backed by the world's leading investors, Coinbase keeps your portfolio safe and secure while adding crypto into your mix. It's a trusted, easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, a mobile app. You can trade securely and monitor all your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash milkshake. Sign up at coinbase.com slash milkshake for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash milkshake. So I've been starting pretty much every morning now with my athletic greens. Like I wake up, I love take it. my athletic greens. Yep. It's changed everything. I've got more energy. My you know, immune system is stronger. And it actually tastes good. Like that's the crazy thing about it. It tastes fantastic. One delicious scoop of athletic greens and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins and minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help you start your day right. I get up in the morning. Most mornings I have a smoothie instead of like an actual breakfast protein smoothie. I add the athletic greens and I can... I can taste it. It's got a nice zing to it. It's a little bit lemony. It's crisp. And I definitely feel uh, increased energy and focus. Yeah, and it's lifestyle friendly. doesn't matter if you're like keto or paleo or vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything, really. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient 
daily nutrition, especially heading uh, into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash milkshake. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash milkshake to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. In a way, maybe what it is is that those people who are already feeling somewhat kind of unmoored and and out of place and having a hard time figuring out uh, who they are and, and maybe retreating to some of these more primal forms of their identity, that those people perhaps have sort of one assumption that they can hold on to, which is I'm a man and that's a woman and that's, the, right. you know, that's where the, the dividing line it stops. And now we're saying, well, no, actually, no, it's not that that even that is is up for grabs. And I think maybe that's where some of this kind of fear comes from, right? That it's what you're describing is people who are who are angry, who are upset, who maybe uh, respond with hatred. But I mean, maybe I'm wrong, Alok, you tell me. But what I notice, the, 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 the primary emotion that I see as a response to these conversations is fear. 100%. But it's fear that masquerades as other things often. Mm. I see this as a spiritual imperative. For me, it's not about to be a woke, like conscious person, you should act like this. I'm saying to be a good person, you should act like this. And when I say good person, what I'm actually subscribing to is like my vision of the world that I want. And I think that so much of what we're doing as a trans movement is about world visioning. We're actually saying we demand the right to self-birth. We demand the right to self-author. We demand the right to celebrate creativity and not conformity. And these gestures are so impossible in a world that has ritualized conformity and categorization. You were raised in a Hindu faith tradition. How how did growing up shape your view of gender through that spiritual tradition? You know, it's, it's a very sad story of like, The problem with colonialism is that it makes the people that it affects even more colonized than the people who came in to begin with. And I think you're really seeing that right now with contemporary Indian community, especially contemporary Indian diaspora, where people are just hyper-nationalist and hyper-religious and hyper-conservative. So I'm still the only queer Indian person from my town that's come out. And a lot of people are like, wow, everyone must be so proud of you. Like, you're doing all these things. I'm like, nope, they just don't even, they don't even invite my family to things. They just, like, don't even speak about it. And it's just very sad because I now know so many things that I was not exposed to at Temple about the history of Hinduism, about the history of gender fluidity in South Asia. But these things were selectively edited out to create this kind of recuperative masculinist model of religion. And we're seeing this across religious traditions and faiths, right? Is that there have always been queer and trans people who are foundational to every contemporary religion, but their contributions have been underemphasized, if not erased. And queer people have been cut out of the religious and the spiritual, which is one of the biggest paradoxes to me because queer and trans people were at the inception of the spiritual. And and for me, 
the the language of transition is such a spiritual language. Like it's it's literally like hmm. I am embarking on this quest a and journey. this journey yeah. that a lot of people are not going to validate. That a lot of people, I'm in fact going to lose so much that the the, the consequences of what I'm doing could cost me my life but I'm still doing it. And not only am I going to do it, I'm going to practice this as a daily practice, meaning every day I make a choice of, do I want to live life easy and just go outside in like gym shorts? Or do I want to be me and go out in a, a flaming red lipstick? And I make that choice because I believe in world making and I believe in creating a world where someone could see me, some person who doesn't even think that someone like me is possible, and then they'll never forget that image and then they can become that. Like what is more spiritual than that? When we learn about all of these disciples across the world, that's exactly what they were doing. But I think this is what's so terrifying and sad about this moment right now, similar to how the rhetoric of nature is being manipulated. The rhetoric of science is being manipulated and the rhetoric of religion is being manipulated. I just keep coming back to this, this internal thing, right? This idea that maybe the reason that this is such a fraught conversation Maybe that it so often leads to violence and anger and, and and hatred and death has to do with the fact that deep down inside us, we know that it's not as black and white. And I don't know, maybe culture, religion has has kind of convinced us to kind of tap that down. And then when we see someone who throws that off, right, mm-hmm. who says... No, these are terms that have no meaning, and I am going to live, you know, uh, sort of liberated from the shackles Expressing of Expressing my real life yeah. identity, yeah. Mm-hmm. That it makes people feel like that little part of them that isn't sure is being exposed to the light, oh. and the only mm-hmm. way to deal with it is to scream at the top of your lungs, there's no such thing as a gay penguin, <laughs> as loud as you can. Am I just ma- am I making any sense, Alok? I don't know. 100%. I totally agree with you, and I, I, I honestly think that that is our power as gender nonconforming people. I reframe it. Like, the only way that I can survive, like, the the torrential hate that I receive online, offline, is I remember that these are love letters by another genre. <laughs> that these are people who, who don't understand even what's going on in them because they've been dispossessed of the language and the history to even do that. So I have a deep amount of mercy where I'm just like, you know, circumstances have made it such that I actually am free and you are not. And I'm sorry about that. And I'm sorry that you've been fear that you've been made to fear the very things that have the potential to set you free. And I know now that it's not on me, it's totally on them. And I think that realization for me was so liberating because I I was carrying this burden of other people's projections for so long in my life. And then I was like, you know what? Like actually all the things that they're teaching me to hate about myself are precisely the things that I love about myself. (laughs) And so when someone spits on you on the streets of New York, your ability to look at them, not only forgive them, but have the deepest compassion for, for them because they are stuck Whereas right. you are free, right. uh, that's a that's a spiritual act. That is a right. that's a Christ-like it, act. Totally, I call it compassionate militancy, and I really challenge myself and my communities on this because I just do not believe that it is radical or even progressive 
to respond to systems of violence using the same grammar of those systems of violence. We Mm. need to create a new language. And that's why I'm a poet, because I believe poetry is the creation of new language. And when we create new language, we create new action, we create new action, we create new worlds. And so what I try to do is to respond to things in in a different sense, like in a completely different constellation of what meaning is. And so I, 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 I I just don't, I understand the impulse to say these people are homophobic and transphobic, but I'm like, isn't that doing the same violence where you reduce people to one category and identity? Uh What I'm saying is these people are traumatized and hurt. These people are repressed and scared. How can we create a form of freedom that is so frothing and so delightful and so wonderful that they will recognize that this is not the thing that they should be fearing. It's the very thing that they should be embracing. And and that is to say, I think that there are people who identify as men and women who are embracing this. And Mm. I think that's an important clarification is I'm not saying that every single person needs to identify as non-binary tomorrow and like join me on the streets wearing a skirt. But what I'm saying is you need to interrogate why you're uncomfortable of the people who are doing that and get to a place in your life where you're not uncomfortable, where that's just another person navigating this fleshy mess of being a body and existing in this country at this time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. What does it look like to have a world where we eliminate the concept of gender? Sure. I think it looks like a world in which we appreciate the infinite complexity of one another. Uh, A world in which we recognize that there's such a profound singularity to each person and that any kind of essential category that we lump people into will actually obfuscate more than it illuminates. I think it looks like actually being able to experience people for their total personhood and not just the arbitrary and arcane stereotypes. And what that looks like in a tangible sense is when I meet people, I don't think, are they a man or woman? I don't think, oh, they're being nice for a insert. I experience them as a person, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's just very funny to me that like, In the conversation around race in this country, so many people are willing to like just move on to this. Like, we're all one race. Like, I don't love see color. Utopia. I don't see color, but I definitely gender, see penis. And right, you know, it's like come exactly, on. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, why aren't you taking that energy to the way that we have about gender? What is it about gender where people need to reinscribe? And when I'm saying people, I'm also being critical here of feminism because feminism has also had a very fraught relationship with trans people because feminism, in a lot of ways, has been about restabilizing the binary of saying women deserve equality with men, but what we're saying as a movement is why should we have to be men or women to begin with? 
And that I think what I want to challenge is why when a baby is born is the first question people asking, is it a boy or a girl and not, is your baby okay? Or how can I pay for their college tuition? Or like, (laughs) are you going to be able to afford rent? Like these are the more practical questions to be asking. What is it that makes gender relevant is that we continually make it relevant. So let's not make it relevant. Let's not talk about it. Let's not bring it up. Let's actually find ways to take gender off of our identity documents. Let's stop gender segregating institutions. If we fear violence, let's address violence, not just make this like a sort of ruse. Let's actually confront a culture of violence and toxicity and not just pretend that gender is this amorphous thing that's concealing it. Let's actually re-educate and recalibrate our arcane stereotypes about man and woman. I mean, the agenda could go on for so long and I just, I, I, I think I, I would love to ask you this question as well, is like, there's that component of fear, but why is it that people when presented with the world, like a liberated and free and just and happy world are so resistant to it? Like, that's, I think, a spiritual question for me is like, time and time again, you have so many people who are like, okay, there's a way out of the sinking ship. And then people will be like, no, I love the sinking ship so much. Like, <laughs> I just want to be here drowning. And they're like, okay, I'm leaving. And they're like, okay, but like, what is it that keeps people committed to drowning? I have, I have a, I have an idea. Do yeah. you want to? I mean, yeah. I think. Look, we we've talked about this a lot, uh, just together on this show. Is that existence is a mystery. It's huge and unwieldy and messy and impossible to wrap your head around. So, what do we do as human beings? We try to make sense of it by categorizing it, by simplifying it. You know, Mm. that's where identity comes from. You know, the difference Mm. between us and them. Uh, My color, your color, my country, your country, my gender, your gender. Like, it's weird to say, but going by Alok's, uh, you know, beautiful analogy, um, we do prefer a prison cell if the alternative is this vast unknowable uh you know universe but that's but that's going to fear and control again and and I agree and I think the solution is god mm-hmm. I think the solution is god of course not god in the gender conforming white male with a beard mm-hmm. bullshit obviously Wait, i'm not you're talking a white about male that with a beard are you talking about <laughs> yourself i am i'm a little bit godlike Hashtag not all white men with beards okay godlike <laughs> yes Hashtag. #hashtag um but in the um, embrace of the divineness of the universe, mm. there is an embrace of the unknown, that, that we are going to die, that the universe mm. seems to go on forever, no one knows why it's here, that mm. in this incredibly beautiful and sometimes terrifying universe, there's an incredible amount of diversity um, there's there's skin colors and there's gender uh, identifications on every level and there's uh, all kinds of there's exquisite and mysterious beauty all around us unknowable and, it, un, and it's unknowable yeah. and um, and we don't know what comes after this body this corporal experience so it, by living in the divine we're living in an embrace of otherness and that diversity is. Uh, is strength diversity is what right. gives humanity and creation its its miraculousness because right. humanity can be diverse because the nature is diverse and the the cosmos are diverse so 
that's the the release of fear is the letting go of, uh, hmm. of trying to control Surrender. the yeah. mystery of of the divine. So maybe the true binary here isn't between male, female, you know, uh, cis, trans, whatever, all that. Maybe the true binary is between those who revel in the question yeah. and those who desperately need the answer. Right? Totally. It, you yeah. know, like, is the mystery enough for you or yeah. do you need an answer? Because there isn't an answer. You can construct right. one and pretend there there is and, and you know, lock yourself up at it and make yourself feel better. But I think in many ways, this goes back to the earlier conversation that we were having, you know, when I was saying that maybe it has something to do with this deep, dark place within all of us where if we were forced to actually examine it, we may admit, mm-hmm. you know, to ourselves in a dark room that perhaps I'm not as confident in my certainty over, say, my gender as mm-hmm. I pretend that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe that deep, dark place, maybe that's the soul. Hmm. That you're looking into your soul and you're realizing, huh, my soul isn't male, my soul isn't female, but it's technically, you know, the true me. So hmm. what do I do with that? What do you think of that, Alok? What do you what do you think of the 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 gender of the soul? If we're if we're all spiritual beings uh, manifesting in these you know in these meat suits for a limited amount mm-hmm. of time on this earth, um, does the soul have a gender? I don't think so. I think gender is a particular construction of this like iteration of history, time, and culture. I don't think it's a universal like meaning or purpose. I think in a lot of ways, gender is an obstacle to meaning and purpose. Um, and it, it, it's something that we have to move beyond in order to access meaning and purpose. But I, I really agree with you about the, the articulation you made about the binary between those who can relish in the question and those who need the answer because I and I, I actually have a book coming out in June about this where I was trying to sit through a lot of the questions we talked about today and what I ultimately concluded is what I've learned as an artist is that the unknown, the unknown is actually the most prolific site of engagement for me. Like if I if I say, I'm going to write a poem about this, it's going to end up being shit. But if I just start writing, and then I look at, I think my definition of art is creating something with my hands that I don't recognize with my eyes. And that's a spiritual practice because I'm like, whoa, I was just channeling something, you know? And a lot of times when I'm performing, I'm just completely ad-libbing. Like I just sort of move away from script and I'm just channeling something. And for a long time, I denied that as a spiritual practice. And then now I'm like, okay, actually I am. And that's the closest I get to what a soul approximates. And and I think that the, the, the framework of a soul for me, surpasses not just gender, but language. And any attempt that we have to Mm -hmm. say, even calling it a soul, (laughs) encapsulates it. It's for me more of actually surrendering to that feeling. And I think that feeling in the gut is what you're sort of returning to, is like that anxiety, that fear, actually recognizing that the very things that we're uncomfortable about, those are the freedom feelings. Like to sit with that profound discomfort and that this profound disarticulation, to be open to our disarticulation, to be open to falling apart. And I, I just remember that vulnerability comes from the word vulna, which means wound. And vulnerability means willingness to be wounded. And there's something very poetic about a wound. 
And I don't. I think that so much of, especially this iteration of culture, has been about resolving the wound, patching the wound, hiding the wound. But I'm actually about let's let's be wounded together, and let's actually theorize and think and process from a place of woundedness, and not recognize that woundedness as a lack, but actually as an opening. We are going to move on to our lightning round questions. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> when do you feel most connected with the universe? When I'm performing. Can you describe your soul in uh, 10 words or less? <laughs> Ambivalent. <laughs> what color is God? Beyond our visual field of perception. When was the last time you ugly cried? Oh my gosh, I do that all the time. So, maybe <laughs> like, like three just days two ago. Minutes ago? <laughs> yeah. Care to describe the circumstances? Um, just like being, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just the the burden of being in the world. What's your biggest fear? Mm. <laughs> that everything that I'm doing is for naught. Mm. What is one thing you know for sure? Hmm. <laughs> the best answers are questions. Mm, that's good. What is the one thing in this world that you hate? Oh, God. There's so much. <laughs> um, bad fashion. Yeah, all right. And finally, what is your life's big question? Hmm. I, question mark. look this has been absolutely fascinating so much for us to think about thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me and thanks for inviting me on the show that was so fascinating wasn't it amazing amazing discussion so I mean articulate and beautiful and just like I mean again like you and I you know we live in Los Angeles it's not like we're not exposed to these issues Mm -hmm. but I've never had it articulated so well. Yeah, and uh, the spiritual reverberations beyond gender and our uh, identity, are, uh, I found especially fascinating. Yeah, me too. And, you know, this this conversation that we were, like, batting around about, does the soul have a gender? And it's, you know, it's I've never really thought about that question or, frankly, asked that question. But, yes, let's not forget that soul, the word itself, is kind of problematic and it's a construct of, you know, Western ideas. True, true, absolutely true. But— all people, regardless of what language you speak or where in the world you are or what culture you belong in or what religion you're from or whether you even accept the existence of it or not, all people, when they think about the idea of soul, make a very simple distinction, right? Whatever the soul is, it's the thing that's not your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would you Would you agree? Like, yeah. yeah the, is, uh, isn't there something really instructive there? I mean, if it's the thing that's not your body— well, your body is the thing with the cock. Your right. body is the or thing. Or the ovaries. Or the ovaries or the vagina or the testicles, or as my four-year-old refers to it, the tentacles. Uh-huh. The other day he goes, how many tentacles do you have, Bubba? <laughs> how, how many tentacles do you have? I was like, what? What? I don't have any tentacles. And he goes, you don't have any tentacles? I think he meant testicles. <laughs> um, isn't that the answer? I mean, we're talking about, like, does the soul have a gender? Well, if the soul has nothing to do, is separate from the body the body is the thing with the gender i mean isn't there isn't the answer right there i don't know so 
we're walking down the street. You're from Enid, Oklahoma. You're walking down the streets of New York City, and you see a person who apparently looks like a man in a dress with rainbow hair Mm -hmm. and giant earrings and lipstick. And you want to take a photo of this human that you've never seen anyone presenting that way in the world. What's, What's your next step? The next step is there's a soul. What a beautiful expression of that soul hmm. in this body in a un- in a unique way. I'm embracing the mystery of the universe, and I embrace the mystery of this person who's different than I am. That's the only—I know I'm sounding like a hippie right now. Am I sounding like a naive hippie? But I really think that's what it's all about. Yeah. So what do you think about this idea? What, a world without— Gender. What would what does that look like? Or a world with a continuum of gender, yeah, and uh, varying expressions of gender. Should we follow the Cherokee? Maybe we need ten pronouns. We need ten pronouns. We need ten pronouns. Send us your ideas. Milkshakers, as you know, when you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and ask us your life's big question, you get to come on the show and then ask that question to us in person. And today on the show, we have someone joining us here with a really good one. This is a good question. Uh, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Hi, Rain. Hi, Reza. It is so exciting to be on this show right now. So uh, what's your what's your question, Elizabeth? Well, my question is complicated, but the simplest way I can ask it is if you take away all variables of life, your environment, what you're taught, at the end of the day, what is our human nature? Are we inherently going to choose good or are we going to choose bad? Wow. That's really good. I got to be honest. I go back and forth on this. Wow. I really do. Sometimes I think, you know what? Human beings were generally good, but we, but we, you know, can, are capable of bad and then sometimes I'm like, no, we're generally bad, but we're sometimes capable of good. Right. Religion, most religions say we're bad, right? That's the whole point of Christianity. Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't created till the fourth century under Augustine. You know, there was original sin's not really not a real thing. You can't you can reverse engineer it into the story of Adam and Eve, but it's not really there. It takes work. It takes work yeah. to do so. That's funny that you bring that up because that's one thing when I ask you know, people that I've talked to about this, you know, that's one thing I bring up. Well, you know, look at Cain and Abel, you know, it's just from the start, you know, no matter how far we go back, there's always that greed or, or that destruction. But even in biblical terms, when it came to Cain and Abel, there was a third being like God that made Cain jealous to cause him to kill Abel. So if there wasn't that influence to make that emotion, would there be that that sin, that that murder, that that need to be jealous? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If we don't have something influencing the way we are thinking, are we just in ourselves inherently good people? Will we choose to do the right thing always if we have no preconceived notions? What do you think, Rain? You need your own po- you need your own podcast. <laughs> you can do ast- astrology and philosophy. Thank you. I I will say, like, it, you have no idea how much your podcast really means to me. I mm-hmm. listen to it every week, and it is so great 
to hear people talking about the things that I'm thinking every day and wondering, is there anyone out here thinking the same way or asking the same questions? And if we continue to do that and find the truth, can we as a human species you know, do the right thing for all of us, not some of us or, or you know, a majority of us, but for everyone and yeah. everyone can be included and, and live in a utopia. Amen, sister. I'm, I'm <laughs> you, you, this is, you're, you're barking up my tree. You're singing up my alley. You're dancing down my unicorn. I don't know what it is. That's fantastic. I will say, I'll throw in a couple of thoughts on this. One is, there was a recent story about a year ago where— Oh, I know what you're going to say. They found a real-life Lord of the Flies. Yeah, yes, that's right. So, Lord of the Flies, we all know, William Golding, he was kind of a cynical alcoholic anyway, apparently, kind of a butthole. He wrote Lord of the Flies <laughs> and said, you know, if these little schoolboys go on an island, they're all going to, like, try and kill each other and just go mad. And they found an actual shipwreck of students in the South Pacific from a boarding school. And what did they do? They helped each other. They built yeah. a ship. They they voted on things. They were they really stuck together and were kind and good. They kept in touch for you know fifty years after they sold the movie rights to this, of course. And it was a real life Lord of the Flies where people were good, you know. And so I, I'm going to lean towards the good because I'm always going to try and find the positive in something because otherwise I'm just going to put a gun in my mouth. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but also. I want to say that there's always this kind of talk about like good and evil. And there's definitely, I would say that evil is a weird term. I think would say it's like good. I hate to say this. People's going to piss off a lot of people, but there's good and there's animal because evil is just an extension of animal, right? If you want to subvert yourself over someone, that's an animalistic impulse to try and be the alpha, right? Well, you take that to an incredible extreme and you have tyranny, let's say. You know, um, everyone wants to amass, you know, animals want to amass acorns in the winter. Cavemen wanted to amass, you know, deer carcasses in the winter. But if you want to amass too much stuff, then that's greed. So really, I think uh, evil is just an extension of these kind of um, baser impulses that we have inside of us. So it's important to see evil as as an unhealthy extension of something that it was essentially natural to begin with. So here's here's my, uh, and I do go back and forth. I really do. But I start with, uh, you know, the sort of first principles, right? Which is the only thing you really know is yourself, you know? And so I think about myself and I think, am I inherently good or am I inherently bad? Am I inherently a good person who struggles not to do bad things? Or am I inherently a bad person who struggles to do good things? And if I were to be perfectly honest with you, I'd say that I'm a good person who struggles not to do bad things. And then when I think of other people, I'm like, those people suck. <laughs> <laughs> They're clearly bad. Right. <laughs> you know? But but I think that most people think of themselves the way that I think of myself, which makes me think, since all the only thing I really know is me that people are inherently good um, and that they struggle not to be bad. Um, so, yeah, I do think that people are inherently stupid. Does that <laughs> count? I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree. <laughs> so I guess then, is it is it clear, you know, it, isn't a 
is there a definite answer? And, and really, Reza, I, I have to kind of also go down that line with my thinking, like, maybe there is no, we are this, or we are that. We just are making those decisions, you know, day by day, moment by moment to choose yeah. what we want to be and how we want to be in this world. Yep. That's the, <laughs> the one thing that Rain and I, we've talked to a lot of people on this podcast and mm. we've talked a lot about this question of, you know, being good. And the, the answer that like the people that we trust always come back to is being good is just doing something good every day. Like just trying. Yeah. Like that's what, how do you be a good person? Try. Try. That's right. it. My wife, my wife always says, it's like, you know, when things are just getting chaotic and, and crazy, she's like, just do the next right thing. Because sometimes yeah. that's all you can do. Just one moment at a time, one breath at a time, one hour at a time. Just do the next right thing. And if more people did that, we'd have a better world. We'd have this utopia you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, not to go on a tangent or anything, but that also brings up questions for me. Like, you know, I, I agree that I think most people try every day to do something good. And and with our neighbors and our community, we are more likely to, to be good to each other. I think we just lose this humanity when when we go on a bigger scale. It's like we can't see that. And so for me, it's it's like, how do we reach those people? How How do we get people to see that there's more than just my circle, that everything you do has a ripple effect for everyone. And choosing to do one good thing here can, can branch out and, and just don't have preconceived notions about anyone or any situation. And, you know, just do the right thing, even when you're unsure or, or you, you, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> 1000%. That was, Elizabeth, such a brilliant, beautiful question. And I love Thank you for being a fan of the show, and I'm glad Thank it's- Thank you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. And uh, you are a good person. So I will say, if humanity could be a little a little bit more like Elizabeth Shelton, folks, then we're, we'd be in good shape. Uh, let's do an episode on this question. We should. Way to go. Way to go, I'll, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I will definitely be listening in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Folks, if you want to come on the show and ask us uh, your own life's big question, very, very easy. Just rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or you can contact us directly at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson on both Twitter and Instagram, at Metamilk Podcast on Twitter or at Metaphysical Milkshake on Instagram. Ask us your question. Maybe we'll have you on like Elizabeth and you might stump us. Thank you again to our guest today, Alok Vade Menon. Their Instagram is a place of beautiful, challenging, interesting fashion and ideas and poetry. Uh, that's at Alok V Menon. That's A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. Check it out. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It's produced by Safa Samizadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Joshua Harris. Original music is composed by Jeff Tang. It was produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. 
Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradwell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. I'm so woke, I, I haven't slept in months. That's how woke I'm. Woke like an artichoke. <laughs> Tone low. Um, You're woke a signs. Woke a yes. Yeah, I'm I'm actually awake because I've been up like all night. All night. Here I yeah. am. Right. Um. You're way cooler than either of us. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.